Welcome to the Left of Straight Show, where we talk entertainment, music, books, foodies, and more each week with special guest interviews of interest to the LGBTQ community and our straight allies. Direct from the entertainment capital of Northeast Ohio. Northeast Ohio. Your host, Scott Fullerton, chats with some of your favorite entertainers, celebrities, newsmakers, and behind-the-scenes people across the country and around the world who make it all happen. So sit back, grab your favorite beverage, and let's start talking. me so much that I had to speak to not only the co-star of the film, but also its writer, director, and producer, who lucky for me just happened to be the same guy. The film is called Chrissy Judy, and it's a full-length feature film that explores love, chosen families, codependent friendship with its highs and lows, and how to reinvent yourself. It takes place through the lens of our LGBTQ community, and the film has played at over 30 festivals, winning both audience and juried awards, Touching audience far and wide from the U.S. and abroad. It's a tour de force in acting, storytelling, and I'm so happy to tell you all about it. We have four mentioned writer, director, and producer. Please welcome to Left of Straight Show for the very first time, Mr. Todd Flaherty. Todd, how you doing today, sir? I'm great. Thank you so much for having me on. It's such a pleasure to be here. I am excited to have you, my friend. This was a fantastic movie. I was sent the screener. It's like, I got to talk to this guy. It's amazing. Oh, Congratulations on a great film. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it's been a really wild ride this year. Um, you know, we were hopeful that we would get into maybe one or two film festivals. So to have the success that we've had has been mind blowing. And now, you know, I think we just wrapped up our limited theatrical run and we're available VOD. So it's crazy. I didn't really think we would be here. And it's been an absolute pleasure talking about this film with other people who have um, found it inspiring. Fantastic. Well, well-deserved, my friend. Let's go ahead. I got a lot to go into the film, but I always like to, first, to start, since it's your first time on the show, let's get a little background. Tell my listeners a bit about yourself, where you grew up, and what got you interested in the entertainment business? Oh, yeah. Well, um, so uh, I grew up in this little town called Swedesboro, New Jersey, which is closer to Philadelphia than it is to New York. Um, it's actually across the river from Delaware, if you want to get really technical. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, I guess um, I found myself in the entertainment industry um, very naturally. Uh, I think like by the time I was five, I knew I wanted to be an actor. Um, my mom was an opera singer um, and her father was um, a pretty well-established jazz pianist. Um, and so I knew that working in the entertainment industry was possible growing up. Um, and then when I was 19, I moved to New York City to um, study at NYU. And the rest kind of just has barreled on from there. I worked for a long time, about like 10 plus years um, in like the off-Broadway and indie theater scene in New York. And I made the jump to film and into directing and writing um, probably about six years ago. That's great. I love that. And you are obviously an out and proud member of our LGBT community. When did yes. you kind of first come out to yourself and where did you find your chosen family? 
Oh, um, you know, I probably, it's so interesting. You know, there are so many people who are like, I always knew. Um, I, I think by the time I was in eighth grade, I was like, I think I'm gay, but I really did. I, you know, it was not a good thing to be gay at that time. Um, and so I fought it for a while. Um, and, uh, I was really lucky, you know, I, I grew up, uh, my aunt is a lesbian and there was nothing ever shameful about, um, sexuality in my household growing up. It really was just more of like a cultural thing. Um, I grew up in a really small town and it felt very complicated to explore that knowing that I didn't really have any other queer people around me. Um, so I came out when I was about 17, um, right before my senior year of high school. Um, and then really a chosen family for me came when I moved to New York City. Um, I spent a year um, at Rutgers, which is a university in uh, New Jersey, and I enjoyed my time there. But it was really sort of like a gap year for me away from this small town life where I really discovered um, the theater and um, how, you know, I, I discovered other members of the LGBT community there, but it wasn't really a thriving um, network of people there. And I would just go to New York City every weekend, um, take the train. And uh, yeah, I think by the time I really made it there and went to NYU, that's when I really started to explore this idea of chosen family. Um, and truthfully, you know, I, in those younger years in New York, um, I had a boyfriend and, you know, my experience with gay culture was like going to splash, uh, you know, a couple of nights a week. Um, and it wasn't until I was 24 and I came to Provincetown for a summer to do a play here that I really got immersed in queer culture and learned so much more about rich history and, um, you know, really just fell in love with the exploration of who we are, how we tell our stories and how we pass on our culture because, you know, we don't have, uh, you know, queer parents to kind of pass this knowledge along to us. So that's really where I, um, that's really where I found my chosen family was here in Provincetown. That's amazing. I love that. We're going to get to the movie in two seconds, but I kind of did go down the rabbit hole. I looked into Undetectable, which is a great short series. That's also the name of your production company, which I love. And also the Let's Meet Again at the End of the World. Talk to me about the, how those come apart, came um, together. And also one of your actors from your current film, which we'll talk about in a bit, was in these as well. But tell me about those experiences. Yeah, so, uh, you know, by the time I was in my late 20s in New York, um, I really had this, um, uh, I had like a really uh, incredible experience working on a play that just blew up. Um, you know, it was in the New York Times, we got nominated for a bunch of stuff, and it was so exciting to be a part of this play um, that was like kind of queer in nature. And I remember having a big agency meeting right after we had finished, maybe like two or three weeks after we had finished the run. And the agent was like, well, you know, theater is great, but if I didn't see it, it's like it never happened. So you got to get yourself on film. And it just felt like such an impossible, it felt like the gatekeepers for film were really, to be quite frank, continually saying to me like, well, I'm not really sure where you fit because I wasn't, you know, um, so flamboyant that I was right for these, you know, small under five roles that people were kind of like, you know, um, fitting into bigger network television shows. And I was obviously too 
like naturally gay to play a non-gay role. And I really was frustrated and thought, you know, if I want to continue working as an actor, I have to start writing things for myself um, to show people where I fit. And um, Undetectable came about because um, I, I am not HIV positive, but I uh, watched Seven Friends Hero Convert in my 20s. Mm-hmm. And it was a really intense couple years in my life. Um, I dated someone for a while who was HIV positive, and I just felt like even though we had made so many strides um, medically in the community, um, that there was still such a stigma around um, being HIV positive. And um, I wanted to, you know, try to make a web series um, to explore what that what that is to really be living with HIV. Um, and so I wrote six episodes. We had no money, um, and I shot it with uh, some very dear friends. And so by the time we had put out the third episode, it was clear that we weren't really going to get funding to move forward. And it felt like the right time for all of us to, you know, stop and move on. I think we, you know, people had other projects, but Joey Taranto was in that, luckily. Um, and then, yeah, from that, um, I, after that experience, I started writing Chrissy Judy, but it takes a while to get a queer feature off the ground. Um, And uh, we were set to shoot Chrissy Judy in the summer of 2020, but obviously because of the pandemic that didn't happen. So our main investor pulled out and we had um, these two smaller investors who were so amazing and they're very dear friends of mine now. Um, And they said, you know, the money that we gave you, take it, make art. So I moved up to Provincetown that summer um, and I called Joey and I called my brother and I said, Hey, you know, I wrote this really small, it's like a, you know, 10 minute short. Um, I'd love to film it here in P town. I think we could do it in like two days. And we did. So my brother came up and he was the cinematographer. Um, He taught his wife how to run sound on the drive from New York city to P town. And um, yeah, it was really from that experience that, we decided to move forward with Chrissy Judy with very, very, very little funding. That is so great. Excuse me. I love that. All right. Well, let's, let's give my listeners a quick reader's digest version of your synopsis of the film. And then we'll go ahead and play the trailer for everybody. So how would you describe the film? Um, So I like to say that this is a platonic love story about a friendship breakup, which I think is pretty universal. Um, uh, Chrissy Judy follows, um, two best friends who are drag performers and have a drag act. And, um, it starts to follow, you know, uh, Judy's unraveling once Chrissy says that, um, he's leaving their drag act to pursue a romantic relationship in another city. Um, and yeah, the story follows how these two people, um, continue to come in and out of each other's lives, um, and how Judy grows as a person without this codependent relationship in his life. Nice. Well, guys, we're going to treat, we're going to play the trailer right now for this. This is Chrissy Judy available on all of your favorite uh, video on demand platforms right now. So here we go. This is Chrissy Judy. I'm going to be famous. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Can't you feel it girl? You have been talking about having a summer show in P-Town for years. Sean and I, we're trying to figure out what the possibility of a future looks like. You're moving in with Sean. How much longer are we going to keep spinning our wheels on this? 
the point of even having a boyfriend? Love and companionship. Duh. <laughs> I think him and Sean make such a good pair. I don't really want a boyfriend right now, you know? Like, what I want is to be alone with someone. Judy, don't be tacky. Relationships are about more than sex. I'm gonna be doing drag for the first time in Philly and I'd love to have your support. <gasps> I am so sick and tired of everyone telling me what I need to do, what I should be doing to be happy, to be successful, to find my path. This number goes out to all of those good Judys. Thank God for them, right? Hit it! Give up your life in New York. Walk out on me. You completely derailed my career. Get Judy! Get over yourself. We've been here for one hour and you're already a mess. Oh, I am not. Guys, we are back, and that was the trailer for the fantastic movie Chrissy Judy by my guest today, Mr. Todd Flaherty. Todd, again, such a great job for you. Thank um, you. So excited for the film. Um, let's talk about the bit. It centers around drag, and I often discuss political happenings and their effects on the LGBT community here on the show. There's been a bit of time, as we talked about, from when you first started shooting it, of course. Um, but the subject that you, the way you created it, it's actually timeless for the entire episode. So it really doesn't show everything that's happening in the drag community. Do you think that's a help for it? And what is, what do you kind of think would it be changed at all now with the current climate of what's happening in all the states here? Mm, that's a great question. So, you know, I think the thing about drag that is so fascinating that it, is that it has literally been around for centuries. Um, and what we see in No One Love is Drag today has evolved so much in really just the last 15 years with RuPaul's Drag Race. But um, with this film, I did want it to feel a little more timeless. So we don't have pop culture references. We don't have political references. And Judy is really striving to be a, more of like a torch song singer. Um, so my hope is that you know, people can watch this in 10, 15, 20 years and not really know when it was made because Judy's style of drag, it does harken back to drag from like, you know, the 60s and, and even prior to that. Um, so I don't know that if we were filming right now, we would um, incorporate any of the politics that are going on because I do think I hope that they are fleeting. Um, I think that, you know, what's going on politically right now is just sort of like the last gasp of a dying political party that is really grasping at straws, trying to, um, you know, create a boogeyman situation. Um, and I personally don't think that they're finding much success in that, which is a good thing, uh, however annoying. And, you know, I speak to this from my privilege as a cis white man, I'm sure it must be much harder for people who are really in the trenches working um, in nightlife in, in as drag performers, um, you know, particularly in Tennessee. But um, I hope that we will move past this quickly. And no, I, yeah, I don't think that the political climate right now would really change our story, but I think that that speaks more to our, um, my decision to really strip away um, any pop culture or political references. 
It is timeless, and I love the way you did that. Uh, let's talk about drag culture and yourself for a second. You never done drag before, from what I read. And dude, I have the voice for radio, so I haven't done videos my first season after five seasons doing video. And I put on a little bit of stuff just so I don't look like a blaring white light here. How did you get all this makeup done and the wigs and talk about that learning curve? Yeah, um, it was a really intense, very steep learning curve. Uh, when I started writing the film, I didn't know, I knew that I wanted to also have um, a story about the difficulties making queer art for queer people. Um, and I wanted to infuse my own journey as an actor, having difficulty finding a space for myself um, in this sort of like more mainstream world. But I didn't want to write about a, an actor and I didn't want to write about a writer. Um, and I thought like, you know, the queerest art form is drag. Um, and I thought that uh, these two people having a drag duo would really cement them together in a fun way. Um, so, once I knew that I wanted to write about drag queens and I knew I wanted to play this part, um, I reached out to a very dear friend of mine who is an excellent drag performer um, in Philadelphia, uh, Maddie Milan. Go look her up. Um, and uh, she taught me everything the hard way. Um, <laughs> and uh, yes, my first couple goes of doing my own makeup were not very good. Um, but Maddie encouraged me to take work, um, working the door actually at a club for like six weeks uh, when I was living in Philadelphia. And um, and that was my drag boot camp. And I would say in six weeks, my, the, my makeup progressed immensely, um, which really helped because we did not have a makeup artist on set, which was, uh, you know, made for very early, um, <laughs> early time calls, self-imposed. Um, so, uh, so that was the curve there. We were really lucky to have Maddie Milan um, whose name is Michael Myers, did all of our wigs and um, helped us pull uh, or constructed a lot of the costumes that Judy wore um, and really helped kind of like create the evolution of Judy's look throughout the course of the film, which gets more and more polished. Um, but yes, doing the makeup was very difficult. I was pretty much up at like 4.35 doing my own makeup um, prior to, on the days that we were shooting. Um, but luckily, I made sure that we built out the schedule so that we did a lot of the drag in a concentrated period of time. So it's not like I was getting in and out of it constantly. Um, I think we probably had like four shoot days in drag out of our 16 shoot days. So it wasn't it wasn't that bad. Nice. Well, absolutely fantastic. And one of my personal favorite forms of drag is the live singing. And you guys did live singing, which is amazing. Talk about that. Is that from your uh, New York and acting background? Uh, it's just so good. Thank you. Um, yeah, it's, it's funny. I really hesitated when I was writing the script, um, thinking about whether or not I wanted to do um, to sing live or um, to lip sync. And quite frankly, it was just a lot more affordable for us with our micro budget to sing live. Um, what was tricky and, you know, of course it was, we had $20,000 to shoot this film. So I still look back and I'm like, oh, you know, there are things that I wish I could change. Um, one of the things that we did have to deal with was we weren't sure which songs that we would have the rights to prior to shooting. Um, so we picked things, a lot of things that were um, in the public domain. And then we chose things that I really wanted. Um, and unfortunately, you know, some songs we were able to get into a recording studio and um, pre-tape and other songs we weren't. So um, that was the main challenge with singing 
um, singing in, in the film was just uh, the editing room uh, figuring out by the time I knew what songs we were able to get, um, just making sure that we had the proper footage to cover them. Um, so there's uh, an, an entirely alternate set of songs that uh, Judy performs. Um, but yeah, and I also wanted to make sure that those songs kind of rang true to um, classic Judy Garland performances and, and um, you know, songs from that era. So I love what landed on the cutting room floor. Um, my favorite is um, Remember Me. I think that fits so perfectly into that moment of the film. And we were really lucky to be working with our music supervisor um, to get that Diana Ross song because that was not easy. <laughs> that oh my god! <sighs> well, it's it's very cool, and I hope you will put those cutting room forums on social media. I mean, those would be great little yeah. shorts to see. I think that'd be <laughs> so cool. Let's go into the actual creation of it. You work with your brother and sister-in-law on it. Amazing cinematography. What, what was it? His choice? Was it your choice for the black and white? Because it just it makes it pop so much. Yeah, when I started writing the film, I knew I wanted to shoot it in black and white. Um, I, I there, there's a multitude of reasons for that. I think first of all, I really love the idea of um, telling this platonic romance story in black and white because I think black and white films are just inherently romantic. Um, and so I, I love the idea of juxtaposing that with the story of a friendship. Um, and then, you know, I do think there's something really timeless about black and white films. And so I, like I said before, I hope that people will watch this and not really have, um, a sense of exactly when it was shot. Um, and so when I told my brother about this, you know, we were looking into, um, just some of my favorite black and white films and we sat down and watched them to not only figure out how to like emulate those films, but capture the essence of that, like um, what that chiaroscuro effect does in different scenes. Um, we didn't work with a lighting kid. Pretty much everything we had was natural light, um, unless we were in, we worked in like two theater spaces that had um, lights that we were able to use. But other than that, it was, um, it was, you know, a fun game of being on set and, you know, having a loose idea of, um, our shot list, but then playing in the space, um, trying to capture that perfect balance of uh, light and dark. Um, yeah, and I also think the black and white is really fun because we oftentimes see stories of the queer community in the rainbow color, especially with the drag community. You know, it's most of what we get is color and glitter, and and um, and I think it's really fun to strip that away and see the actual layers of um, you know, Judy's mask and to see how Judy, um, expresses his most authentic voice behind makeup and lashes. And, and you get like a more, um, you get a little bit of a grittier look at that in the, with black and white. Looks phenomenal. Talk about your brother, Brendan, for a second, because I understand he works at SNL. We have a great friend of the show, Greg Scarnici, who works there, has been on a couple oh. of times and, it's so rapid paced there. I'm sure that had to help with the budget and trying to get everything done. Talk about what he brought to it. Yeah, so, you know, um, Brendan and I have been, excuse me, Brendan and I have been making films for our entire life. Um, and uh, I, to be honest, was working with a separate production team um, 
with a different producer and a cinematographer in like the fall of 2019 when we had a much larger budget. And um, it, it, you know, losing that main investor and kind of uh, figuring out how to scrap together this film on such a small budget was our, our greatest gift because, um, you know, Brendan came back into the fold and was like, okay, if we can shoot this once I wrap SNL, I have like, you know, this two month hiatus window where we can kind of piece this together on weekends. Um, and, uh, and yeah, you know, I think he and I, you know, we shared a bedroom for 16 years, so we just can read each other's thoughts. Uh, we have a shorthand and I think what was great was everyone on set really treated that process, um, very preciously. And, um, and, uh, yeah, I think, I think it, it helped us because, you know, really most shots, we were only able to get two or three takes, um, before we had to move on. So that's what I love most about Brendan is we think the same way. And that if ever there's a roadblock, we can kind of come together and say, okay, well, what's the next best option for us? How do we solve this problem? Um, there was never a moment where we let a hiccup kind of derail us for the rest of our shoot day. And, um, and yeah, and he's also just funny and, uh, he's just a great person to spend the day with. So that always helps when you're spending, you know, 12 to 16 hours a day on set with someone. <laughs> I bet. And it's just funny to me thinking because you're working with your brother and there's a couple graphic, but tastefully yes. done sex scenes. It's like, how does your brother go, Ken, you just see a little more ass here? Or how do you do that with your brother? Has he walked in on this before? Old home week or what? Well, um, everything is very carefully choreographed. Um, and really, uh, you know, there, there are three sex scenes. The one is like virtually shot in the dark. Um, you know, so it's mostly just the implication of sex. Um, the second one we were, uh, Joey Taranto and I were both fully clothed and it was really just the humor of trying to capture the humor of you know, how awkward sex can be. And the third one, we really did choreograph all the camera angles. Um, and, you know, it's funny, um, in the short film that we did in 2020, Let's Meet Again at the End of the World, there was a sex scene that we also, like, choreographed really tightly. And I had on, um, uh, like, underwear, um, and Joey had on a modesty pouch. But um, my favorite story is that my sister-in-law, you know, was in the corner of this tiny room where we were shooting with a boom mic, and I was like, okay, I really only want to do this once because obviously it's awkward and, you know, whatever. So we go through all the camera shots clothed and then we derobe and, and, you know, I call action and we go through the whole thing and it's maybe 45 seconds, the whole entire shot. Um, <laughs> and at the end I called cut and it was quiet for a minute. And I just look over in the corner and I see Isabelli who is Brazilian. And she was like, you know, actually, that was not as bad as I thought it was going to be. And I was like, just, you know, it broke the tension of the room and we all had a good laugh. Um, yeah, it's, I think it's a little awkward, but if you if you treat it for what it is, which is just pretty much a choreographed dance move, um, it, it's not so bad. Amazing. I love that story. <laughs> right, now, it's, it's quite an ambitious film on a $20,000 budget, and you have quite a few recognizable locations but the film does kind of look like a love letter to New York and Provincetown. Was that mm -hmm. intentional or talk about that and using all these sets? I mean, all these uh, locations. 
Yes, uh, we were very ambitious and did a lot of research to see what we were able to do without having to pull permits. And luckily, both in New York and Provincetown, um, you can get away with shooting a lot of things if you are working with a single camera and no lighting kit. Um, so really, that was another saving grace for us in terms of our budget. And yeah, I, I appreciate you saying that. I do think that it is a love letter to New York and P-Town for me, because those are the two spaces where um, I felt the safest to explore my authenticity as a gay man. Um, I think a lot of people have had that experience. And, um, you know, we don't have many places where we can really fully be ourselves. And um, I'm grateful to live in a time uh, where, you know, coming up in New York, I was a kid and really just trying to figure out who I was. And the city gave me so much uh, room and a safety net to explore those things and explore myself. Um, and Provincetown has too, in a much different way. Um, if for the viewers who have never been, you know, um, we're about 60,000 people in the summer and 3000 people in the winter. Um, and throughout all of that, I think it's around 60 or 65% of, um, the people here identify as LGBT, which is amazing. You know, I, and so, I, I've had experiences going, you know, just grocery shopping um, and seeing mostly queer identifying people around me. And when you're in that space and you're not identifying yourself as the thing that uh, culturally we're forced to identify ourselves with, which is our sexuality, you, you start to say like, okay, well, who am I if I'm not this thing that's put on me? Um, and I wanted to capture that energy when we were shooting in P-Town, which, um, which I think we did. Very much so. I mean, that's one of my biggest regrets. I'm 40 something and uh, I have never been to P-Town. I've always wanted to go. Um, talk about, you live there now. What mm -hmm. is the difference as a resident? I mean, you were flooded with Bear Week and this week and Pride Week and everything like that. What's the difference to you and how do you enjoy the soft times, the quiet times as a resident as opposed to the P-Town? Well, I think that there is um, an energy here that, uh, you know, it, so technically Provincetown is the, considered the first um, artist community or artist colony in America. Um, people have been coming up here since the early 1900s, Eugene O'Neill, um, Tennessee Williams, uh, to write, um, and to create art. Um, there's a huge visual art community here and there's a huge writing community here. Um, and I just, I don't know how to explain it. I think there's something in the sea air that just really helps spark creativity. Um, and then on top of that, since, you know, the sixties, um, uh, really since the forties, it's become this sort of gay enclave. Um, it hasn't been since like the 60s or 70s that it really took on a life of its own. And now we do have these very insane, intense summers. Um, you know, the town is about two and a half miles long. So it's, and there's one long street that runs through it. So it's, um, it gets very densely populated in the summer, which can feel a little uh, stressful at times. But it's also so incredible when you step back and you think like, all of these, it's, it's a destination, you know, it's at the very tip of Cape Cod. You're not just driving through here. It's a choice to be here. And you have all of these people who are just really celebrating themselves and celebrating their community here. So that is where I love to find the balance. You know, the quieter times are really a great time to um, go in, go inward. 
um, and explore your creativity and yourself. And the summer is a time to, you know, be a little more extroverted and celebrate life and the joy of our community. And you have to come visit. <laughs> I love it. Well, I'm going to hammer you into being tour guide for a day, one of these days. Yes. We'll see. What yeah, definitely. I'm going to try. Bear week is probably my thing, but we'll see what happens. Yes, I, I like great week. times too. I'm not a big crowded person, so we'll see what well, happens. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there are places you can escape. There, there's there's non-crowded places, but I'll tell you where those are. All right, there we go. Well, let's get into now talk cast of the movie. Uh, I told you off air, I'm lucky I'm going to have Wyatt on very soon. But Wyatt He's Benner, I mean, that's generosity in acting. That's kind of the less dominant of the power couples, so it's got to be a lot harder to play. Talk about his casting and what he brought to the show. The movie. We were so lucky when Wyatt agreed to come on and um, play Chrissy. Um, I was, you know, looking for people for a while. And truthfully, um, you know, well, Wyatt is just so immensely talented. Um, we did a reading of a play together in New York years ago, and that's how we met. And so we've always been on each other's radar and kind of like, you know, run into each other at different events. Um, and the funny thing is about the magic of Provincetown, um, and he'll tell you, he was visiting uh, for the first time with his partner, and um, they saw me riding my bike, and he texted me and said, are you in Provincetown? This was like during the height of the pandemic. I was like, yeah, I live here now. And um, we got to meet up and uh, take like a socially distanced walk on the beach, and they loved it so much they came back a couple months later. And when they were back, um, that's when things were really gearing up for us. And we, when we had just started the process of location scouting and casting, and I wanted to hear the script read out loud again for the last time before I really jumped in. And I said, hey, I know you're on vacation. Um, I have like five friends. We're just going to like have some wine and some dinner and, and read the script out loud. Um, it would be helpful if you could come. And he was like, oh, yeah, I'd love to. And so I sent him the script. And as soon as we finished the reading that night, um, it was so apparent. I was like, well, that's Chrissy. You know, there's no moving on. There's no finding anyone better. Um, he has such a generosity of spirit. And he, um, I think really most importantly, he wanted to see this film get made. And when Wyatt wasn't on screen, he was showing up to set on days. He wasn't called to, you know, like. Awesome clock our sound slate in and um, was always available to kind of really help figure out how to get this thing in front of audiences. And um, he brings so much joy to the work. Um, yeah, he brings such a depth of emotion to the part. And um, I think, I think we were just so lucky to have him, you know, like I said, we only had like one or two takes to get different shots and he would deliver these really uh, multifaceted performances that were so different in each take. And so in the editing room, I could see it directing him on set. I was like, oh wow, he's really giving me a lot to work with. But then in the editing room, I was like, oh, this is such a gift that he gave us all of these different options to like craft this um, performance. And um, yeah, I would work with him again and again and again. He's just a genius. I am so looking forward to talking to him soon. Yeah. Let's also talk about um, Joey Toronto as Marcus. I mean, this is where I saw your writing ability come out because it really is a progression of the story from mm. where you meet to your next time meeting to the ultimate 
uh, meet at the end there. I thought it was a great character development on that. Uh, talk about what Joey brought to the production. If you have worked with him before. Yeah, so Joey and I met, like, I, oh, we met in an acting class um, in New York years ago, and I think we just connected right away. Um, I think why I keep working with him is because we have a really palpable chemistry on screen, um, and truthfully, like, we act like complete goofballs together. Um, you know, I don't, I don't think we would ever have a successful romantic relationship. Um, <laughs> But there is something about our chemistry on screen that really, uh, that reads. Um, and I had toyed around with the idea of, I, I met with some other actors for that part, but every time I met with them, I was like, no, it's Joey, it's Joey. Um, so I did kind of write the part for him. Um, and uh, I, I don't know, I think he just really understands character and um, he understands, he really understood who this person Marcus was, which I think, you know, on an initial watch, you might think like, this guy's an asshole, but really like Marcus is the character who's the most upfront about everything he wants. He's the most emotionally clear about his intentions. Um, he's the most settled in his life and where he is, he's the most confident. And so I think that that is what really draws Judy to him is looking for that person who is like so stable. Um, and you know, at the end, I won't give it away. You you could kind of be like, man, this guy's such a dick, but really like he, he came with like full honesty and with his boundaries. And I think that that's like, what is so great about Joey is he's very similar. Um, you, you always know what you're getting with Joey. He, he tells it like it is, he's a straight shooter. And I think he brought all of that to the role. I love it. And his character does offer the best advice. So he just kind <laughs> yeah. of brings the wisdom. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Well, uh, we're getting near the end here. Can you share any memorable, memorable maybe behind-the-scenes moment or difficult moment of production in Chrissy Judy that you might not have talked about in an interview yet? Anything that um, comes to mind for you? Yeah, we had a crazy day. Um, so uh, a friend of mine who is the artistic director of a theater in um, Montclair, New Jersey, gave us her space to shoot in for a day when they were dark. And we needed to film two really integral drag scenes. And then at night we were going to shoot all of the um, scenes with Marcus at the end. So it was a very long day of like really pivotal scenes for Judy. And in the morning we were, you know, loading up the van to go to New Jersey from New York. And I got a message that our location for that night where we were shooting Marcus's scenes um, had to pull out. And so we went and, you know, I'm in full drag driving to this, you know, theater in New Jersey. And we shot the final scene where Judy sings, what'll I do? And then we shot um, the scene where Chrissy tells Judy that um, she's leaving New York and leaving the act. And I was like, okay, we have to be here in this moment and I'll worry about later, later. And then Wyatt and uh, Isabella and Brendan driving back to New York, just on the phone with everyone we knew. And um, I won't say who, because I don't want to give away who this person is and um, let people know that we were working out of their home, but they very generously offered their home that we could use as Marcus's. And it turned into this brilliant night for us because um, this person has a rooftop terrace and we got to capture this 
moment that was not in the original script of Judy um, exploring someone else's space and um, seeing all of these things that he wanted for himself manifest in other someone else's life. And uh, it's right before the third act. And it just, uh, and the, there was a full moon that night. It was really just this like perfect night. So this horrible thing happened that could have completely derailed us. And all of us just rallied and said, no, we're not going to cancel. We're going to figure out where we can shoot this tonight. And um, yeah, you know, I think it just was the power of the magic of our entire shoot. We had so many things like that happen. And um, I think it speaks to like, truly working creatively and saying, okay, if I don't have what I thought I could have, how can I take something new and make the best out of it? Serious kismet and serendipity. Oh, yeah. Love that. That is awesome. Which brings me to one of the last things I want to talk about. Um, it's extraordinary to me on your limited budget that um, during one of the final scenes of it, did you hire an animal wrangler or what happened here? I mean, was it scripted or improvised? I was blown away. I thought that was amazing. Yes. Um, so it was scripted. Um, it was in the first draft of the script and everyone I sent it to producers and, um, you know, investors, they were like, well, what are you going to do about the Fox? How are you going to do that? Um, how are you going to get a Fox? And I said, you know, I know and love P town so well. I think one will just show up for us. And everyone was like, well, we can't count on that. So I did write alternate lines that included telling the story of seeing a fox um, and not having one show up. And what happened was we went um, to the breakwater that night to shoot and we shot the wide. And it's a pretty emotional scene. And so, you know, I knew that I wanted to get one clean wide take for Wyatt because there was a lot going on there for him. And um, we start pulling into the close-up to Brendan. I just hear him go, guys, there's a fox on the beach. I was like, turn the camera around. Let's just pause for a moment and get the fox. So we get this lovely shot of a fox running along the beach. And we're like, okay, great. We have that for B-roll. And, and um, we start setting up why it's close-up. And then we were like, oh, my God, that fox is coming up onto the breakwater. We have to shoot this. So we pulled back again. And the same fox just came up on the breakwater and kind of you know, walked around sniffing for some food and we were silent. And then I think he caught, caught our eye because it was pretty dark um, and just, you know, beautifully scurried away. And I went and looked at the um, playback of that. And so we kind of uh, reimagined um, our blocking there and just played to that. So really it was total luck. Um, and again, speaks to the magic of making this film. And I think it really, <laughs> it was some sort of creative, um, spirit that, that gifted us that moment. Magical indeed. <laughs> Fantastic, my friend. Well, guys, I can't recommend this movie enough. Like I said, it's on video on demand right now. It's had amazing film festival support. It had some live premieres in New York and San Francisco and LA, which is fantastic. Let's talk about future projects. You kind of feel compelled now with this amazing start of your first feature that you need to write and direct everything, or is there a part of you that's like to let someone else do it and ask where you are <laughs> right now, headspace-wise? Um, I did a film just as an actor, which was a great experience in the fall, um, directed by and written by Marco Calvani, who's this incredible Italian director. Um, and uh, 
Um, so that should be premiering soon. Um, I can't, I don't think I'm allowed to announce when and where, but it's exciting. It'll be out soon. Uh, Marissa Tomei is in it. Bill Irwin is in it. Uh, Marco Pigosi is in it. Um, so it's this really incredible cast. It's a beautiful film. Um, and I was very fortunate just to show up to set and act in that. Um, and then I did just finish writing my next feature that I would like to direct as well. Um, and it's a, it's a, it's a little bit of a departure from Chrissy Judy, but it still lives in this um, queer world. So um, I am hoping to be able to be in production in that in the next year or so, but I know how slow things can be uh, getting getting these projects off the ground. So that's that's what I'm working on next, yeah. And I would right. love to be writing and directing. Nice, we'll be on the lookout for that. <laughs> and talk about, um, let's say you had no budget constraints and you could bring one of your products live, where would you like to see that set and who would be a couple of your top dream actors or actresses to be? Oh my gosh. Um, I have been working on something for years and every time I try to pitch it, people are like, oh, that's really expensive. Um, I don't want to speak too much about it because um, some other projects have come up recently that are a little um, in line with it. And so I just want to hope that mine when I write it um, or when I finish writing it can be a unique thing in and of itself. Um, and then actors who I would love to work with. Um, I love Jeremy Pope. Um, I uh, went to NYU with Atu Blankson Wood, who I think is amazing. I would love to, I would love to work with him. Um, I think he's doing Hamlet and Shakespeare in the Park this summer. So I'm excited to see that. Um, I would love to continue working with Joey Taranto. Um, he uh, is working on a project right now that I might direct for him. We're trying to figure some things out, but um, he deserves a larger vehicle um, to showcase his talents. Um, and yeah, I would love to work with Wyatt again. Um, oh my God. It's so hard to like name names. And then there's a plethora of directors who I would be honored to work with just as an actor. And uh, yeah, I hope that this is just the start of um, a long life in, in film. I think it is, my friend, guaranteed. Well, it's been such a pleasure talking to you, Todd. Please let everyone know where they can find a little more information about the movie or where they can follow you maybe on social media or website or whatever you want to give out here. Yeah, sure. Um, so I am pretty much only active on Instagram. My handle's at Todd Flaherty. Um, I do have a Twitter, but I have I only tweeted once, I think back in 2011. So you won't really find me very active there. Um, uh, for Chrissy Judy, um, you can find out more information on my Instagram. You can also find it out on Dark Star's website. Um, and you can just uh, Google us where, you know, you can stream us on Amazon, iTunes, Google Play, Vodou, um, anywhere you rent and buy movies, uh, you can find us. Fantastic. Guys, again, we have Todd Flaherty here. The movie is Chrissy Judy. I have seen it. It's amazing. Do yourself a favor and find this on your favorite video on demand. We're going to have Todd back soon next week with uh, answering the five questions with us. Todd, thanks for being on the Leftist Right Show today, my friend. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. My pleasure as well. Hold on the line for me, guys. We'll be back in a couple of minutes. You're listening to the Left of Straight Show right here on the Left of Straight Radio Network. Thanks for listening to The Left of Straight Show. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast distributor and please give us a five-star rating so more listeners can find us. 
You can follow us on social media and be sure to check out our website, www.leftofstraightradio.com for contests and other news and information. See you next week.